When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core claims of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. Today, we're talking about Bible memes and TikToks. So I have an Old Testament scholar and a New Testament scholar, and they're going to react and respond to some of the popular information we find on social media about how we got the Bible, what is the Bible, and whether or not the Bible is reliable. So this is the first episode of the year. I am back from my sabbatical and ready to go. Very excited to bring you all new episodes this year. And I want to give you a little preview of some of the guests we're going to have on in the new year. Um, there so many, so many great guests, but just just a few here. We're going to have Paul Copan on. He's He was on the podcast a long time ago when we were audio only. And we're going to talk with uh, Paul Copan about difficult passages in the Old Testament, asking the question, is God a vindictive bully? And a new book that he's written on that topic and his take on some of those things. We're going to interview Dr. Scott Stripling about the Bible and archaeology. And we're actually doing two episodes with Dr. Strip Stripling that I'm really excited about because we're going to bring you not just some really faith-building archaeological finds, but we're going to discuss the significance of how some of these finds might affect how we interpret the Bible. So that's some very cool information we're going to bring to you. We're also having Neil Shenby come back on to do a part two on our initial discussion about Christian nationalism. So there's been some developments on that front, and we're going to talk about them. And so I have a couple of really exciting announcements for you today. If you happen to catch my Christmas live stream with Natasha Crane, you'll know that we're launching a four-city, hopefully annual, conference called Unshaken. So this year's theme is called Winning the Battle of the Gods, and we're going to be talking about 
all the cultural chaos, how to respond to it. Are we ultimately going to bow the knee to God or are we going to serve the God of self, which is so popular in our culture? We've asked our friend Frank Turek to join us this year. And we just have a lot of really helpful, encouraging, and truthful things to share with you about how to stand strong and stand unshaken in this culture. So the first date is in just a couple of weeks. We're going to be in Dayton, Ohio. So that's the Cincinnati area, largely. If you're anywhere within driving distance, uh, go to unshakenconference.com to buy your tickets and to learn more. And I'm also excited that recently we released uh, the information about two other of the locations. So May 6th, we're going to be in the LA area. So if you're in Orange County, Los Angeles, Southern California, May 6th is your date. November 4th, we're going to be in Nashville. I'm super excited about that one. And so anywhere in the Nashville area within driving distance of there, November 4th will be your date. We're going to be updating the website as that information becomes more solidified, but we're just very excited about it. So uh, that's the, the first announcement. The second announcement that I am so excited about, you guys, is that this this coming Wednesday, that's January 11th, the very first episode of my new, my brand new podcast called the Unshaken Faith Podcast is going to premiere. So if you missed the announcement about that, this is a podcast that Natasha Crane and I are starting up. So the episodes will be weekly, about 15 minutes, and we're going to dive into all the tough cultural topics. We're going to be answering skeptical claims against Christianity and the Bible, giving you just bite-sized weekly encouragement. So I was, guys, this, this is unreal. I was so encouraged that when we published the podcast trailer uh, two or three weeks ago, which you can go and listen to right now, the podcast actually went to number two of the religion and spirituality uh, chart on Apple, and it hit number 80 of all podcasts across all genres. We were blown away. I can't even believe it. So super excited about that. So please go to your podcast platform and subscribe to the Unshaken Faith podcast. Help get the word out. The first episode we're going to be talking about on Wednesday is about the new American Girl body image book and the message that that's sending to our young girls. All right, guys, now on to today's topic. So I want to introduce my guest to you. Dr. John Mead is professor of Old Testament at Phoenix Seminary. Dr. Dr. Peter Gurry is the Associate Professor of New Testament at Phoenix Seminary, and they're both directors of the Text and Canon Institute. They were on recently to talk about their wonderful book, Scribes and Scripture, how we this, describing how we got the Bible, and I love it because it's all the way from the invention of writing to how we got the Bible today. And so I'm going to bring those guys on. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. It's just, I'm thrilled to have you back. It's great to be back. Well, <laughs> Thanks. I loved, I, I, we talked offline after our last episode, and I asked you guys, I said, I love your rapport together. I wonder if you would want to do an episode where you respond to like bad, bad Bible memes and things like that. And you guys said, absolutely, but only if you don't show us what they are beforehand. <laughs> So I'm excited <laughs> that the, yes, you, they have not seen what we're going to talk about today. So this is all new information for them. Um, so let me just give you, uh, you guys and our audience, a little bit of background on why I wanted to do this episode. So uh, my heart in having a reaction episode is not to make fun of anyone or have a laugh at anyone's expense. It's literally to try and speak to truth into some really bad ideas and falsehoods that affect 
very real people. They have real consequences for real people. And so during my time researching and writing my upcoming book on deconstruction, co-authored with Tim Barnett, I spent a lot of time on TikTok, which, by the way, I don't recommend. <laughs> don't recommend it at all, but I had to do it for the research, and it was incredibly eye-opening. So not so much because of what people were saying. You expect to find skept you know, skeptical things. You expect to find people that are railing against Christianity. But it was kind of disturbing because of how many people were believing those things, how many followers some of these people had, and um, how demonstrably false a lot of the information was. And people in the comments, they just didn't really care. It was just like, wow, thanks for opening my eyes and, you know, to how corrupt the Bible is or something like that. So hopefully today we'll be able to shine some light and bring some truth into some of the chaos that we're finding on TikTok and on social media. So thank you guys so much for joining to help us do that. And I do want to say one more thing before we get into our first one here. If you're watching online, if you're watching us live on YouTube or on Facebook, you can put some questions into the comments. We're going to try to save about 15 minutes at the end to take some uh, some comments and questions from you guys. If you're listening on the audio platform, you are actually not listening live. We are posting this audio to the podcast platform after we have finished, so you won't be able to ask your questions. But we will try to save about 15 minutes at the end for that. All right, so you guys, are you ready? The big, the first one's a doozy. It's a doozy. <laughs> we are, are ready? ready. Okay. All right. We've braced this, ourselves. Okay. All right. Put on your thinking caps. Here's number one. This is a TikTok <laughs> that, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen this before or if this went viral, but I came across it and thought this is a perfect one to start with. So here we go. One of my favorite things about the Bible is how antiquated all the things that are supposed to take place in the future are already. How all the prophecies, how completely antiquated they are, because, you know, when the, when the Bible was uh, written, and then rewritten, and then edited, and then re-edited, and then translated from dead languages, and then re-retranslated, and then re-edited, and then re-re-re-edited, and then re-translated, and then uh, given to kings for them to take their favorite parts out, and then re-edited, and re-translated, and then re edited and then given to the Pope for him to approve and then re-retranslated and re-rewritten then re-written, re-edited, re-translated, re-edited again all based on stories that were told orally 30 to 90 years after they happened to people who didn't know how to write. So are you guys ready to quit your jobs and find something else Brutal. to do? Or? I'll tell you what, that guy's making a lot more money than we are, which is unfortunate. So Yeah, and you can hear uh, the yeah. audience. The audience is just loving it. They're like, Yeah, that time all those kings yeah. changed what they didn't like. Like they know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's the a lot got there. somehow. This is fascinating. The book got the book got <laughs> you know, I think what's I think what's um the first thing that strikes me that is how is the laughter, the way people think like, oh, this is funny because he's saying something true that nobody wants to admit. Right. right. That's sort of the feeling I think the audience is having there. And it's like, no, actually, he's saying something that you all want him to say that's not true. <laughs> like, it's mm -hmm. it's actually the opposite, yeah. probably, of what that audience yeah. is. Um, now, obviously, there's some other elements of that joke as well. We don't need to dissect. But uh, one, can I jump on one thing that, that struck, struck out to me there? Mm -hmm. um, and that is, um, well, the element of the Pope did jump out to me. No, no Pope sort of determined the Bible. That's a pretty common uh, misconception, um, but it did did it. I think overarching the whole thing is this idea that anything from the past is, of course, silly and 
outdated and just sort of like, ha ha, can you imagine anybody taking something that's old seriously? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just thought like, man, that, that, that right there probably is such a, an, uh, a bad thing about our culture, frankly. And I don't just mean in terms of Christianity, but the fact that like we look at old stuff and just think it's silly, it's all silly. Anything that didn't come out since the invention of TikTok, it must be dumb and outdated and it's like so few generations from the past have thought that way about the past frankly Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things i love about studying the ancient past is that people in the ancient past actually took the past their own past very seriously (laughs) Mm -hmm. much they had much more respect for it than we do for ours and i think it's one of the things that makes them better than us frankly just on sort of like Mm. base level not talking about like their religious beliefs or anything but just as a culture ancient people tended to take old things seriously because they were old we tend to take old things not seriously because they are old mm-hmm. right so anyways yeah. okay we can probably talk more specifics than that what do you think john <laughs> what, what's your thoughts yeah uh so much um it was a obviously a a, a heightened or overemphasized um point there on orality, right? These books, I think he was speaking about the New Testament books, it looked like. Uh, these books were not written down until, what, 60 or 90 years after the events by people who couldn't even re- write or something like this. Um, yeah, that just that just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, there were orality, oral elements, of course, in the telling of the gospel, right? It's a proclamation, no question. Um, and yet, in our book, we just we just give a few little quick examples about how how many metaphors come from writing. You know, if these people didn't know how to write, then why are they even bothering using metaphors that are based on writing? So I, I think of that one in First Peter two, where uh, Christ is compared to a hoopa grammos, which means a model or like a like a stencil. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if your kids are learning how to write, they're learning how to write within stencils. And um, but that that term is from the is from the arena of writing. You know, if it, so, Peter would have to understand it, and then his audience would even have to understand something about that, right? For for that to stick and to work. So the, the fact of the matter is, uh, the the biblical books come to us through a through a combination of oral telling oral elements, but also a heavy dose of, of writing. And mm-hmm. so anyhow, uh, that, that just stuck out to me. Uh, Peter's already pointed out the Pope issue. That's, that's one, but I, but I do think Peter's has struck uh, on the real issue there. And that is if something is old in our culture, it is insignificant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I'm actually thinking through this cause I, I study the old Testament. Uh, and I used to, I used to think that the term just meant, well, it's older than the new or something like this. Uh, but the more I dig into that term palaios or palaye or palaya as it uh, modifies diatheke, the word for covenant or testament, um, I'm actually thinking it has that other term that in the West or that other meaning that in the West we don't have. And that is that something is old, it's, it's worthy of honor and it's worthy of, uh, of, of acknowledging its significance. And uh, that's a, that, that meaning of old does not hit our Western culture very well. But I do think that's how the term probably was originally used. Mm-hmm. So, 
So, and, yeah. and a couple thoughts from my perspective, too, as a layperson, as I've just studied deconstruction, it seems like the whole machine motivating deconstruction is kind of this postmodern approach, which wants to break down any type of uh, reliability of narratives or of the way that people have seen the world or, or, or worldview so you can construct your own. It's like there's, a, there's a, a lot of skepticism aimed at any sort of established uh, you know, structure, right? Structures and hierarchies are inherently evil in that mindset. And so there's sort of this, this, uh, this motivation to want to reject anything old, to want to reject the way people thought, because um, obviously we, we, from the postmodern mindset, they're thinking, well, that's just a construct of reality that doesn't actually reflect reality. So I think that can be motivating it too. But you know, what really struck me about this one in particular is there's, um, there's a logical fallacy called the gish gallop. It's not like a common one that people talk about a lot, but it's when you bring up all these kind of um, different things all in one stream and you, you kind of mush them together so that the person that you're talking to almost like can't, doesn't even know where to start to unravel your argument because you've just kind of crammed all these different ideas together into one. And what I noticed he did in this one in particular is just as from the lay perspective, not having, uh, you know, the, the expertise in this area from him moving from copying to translation, and then it was retranslated and then it was copied again. And then this happened and then this happened. You almost come away with the idea that the, the manuscripts that we're translating into English today have been just, they've gone through like 10 different languages. They've been copied by all these different people. There's no way to possibly even know what the original said. And that's because these categories are being crossed, like the category of the actual copying and then the translations. Uh, so I think, you know, probably I would go away as a layperson if I didn't know better. I would think, well, hey, the Bible was probably written in one language, then it was translated into another one, then it was copied, then it was translated again, then it got copied again. And then finally, at some point, it got translated into English from all of that mess. But that's that's really not how it happened, is it? So um, I think that uh, it's a powerful example of, you know, confirmation bias. People want the Bible to be false, and that makes sense to them. And that sounds great. You know, all these people changed it. So, you know, you guys are silly if you believe in that. But it's a, it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So the narrative there, I was thinking about that too. It was trading on quite a bit of false information that's out there. And so uh, just, again, I'm kind of one of those weirdos. Just uh, every so often on Twitter, I'm going to search for uh, how we got the Bible or, you know, uh, how did how did we get the canon? Did Nicaea determine the canon or something like this, these odd search terms. And all of a sudden, it's within 24 hours, there are tweets like that would actually sort of flow in and out of that TikTok that we just, mm. that we just watched, you know? And mm -hmm. so I, I don't know where all that comes from because I don't think that comes from the Academy either. Like, I mean, the, Dr. Gurry and I have significant disagreements with members of the Academy on how we got the Bible, but, but on these kinds of like gaffes, I mean, I think almost all scholars of, of, of the Bible would be against, you know, the kind of things we just heard. Mm -hmm. Is that right, Peter? I mean, is that kind of how you yeah. would? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, you know, so just real quick, so we're hitting this on the head for folks who are listening. The Bible that you have today is not a translation of a translation of a translation. Okay. It's translated from the original languages, Hebrew for the most part for the Old Testament, Greek for the new. We have more evidence to work with than at any period of history, as far as we know. <laughs> I mean, we yeah, have right. probably access to more manuscripts than Jesus did. I don't know. Maybe that's an exaggeration, me, but that's probably <laughs> probably fair. I don't think he had the Cairo Giza. I, no, example. I don't think. 
Nope. <laughs> so, um, the Masoretic so, manuscripts yeah, so were not, not available. Mind. Um, there have been some famous translations of translations in the past. We don't need to get into that. But for the most part, Christians have translated from Greek and Hebrew when they could, certainly since the Reformation. Uh, last thing I want to mention, he did mention kings changing it. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that's sort of a, a reference to like, see the people in power edited mm -hmm. their own history. Okay. Which to some degree, okay, sure. Of course, people tend to, to write their own country's history. But to me, when I read the Old Testament, I don't know when the last time your listeners read through the Old Testament. I recommend they do. But um, Israel does not come off looking so hot most of the time. So if, you know, if the Old Testament is the result of editing to make the people make themselves look better, man, they did a real bad job. Terrible job. And frankly, right. could say the same thing for the Gospels when it comes to the disciples. Think of something like Mark's Gospel. Boy, if the apostles just changed that text to make themselves look better, they did a really off. I mean, if you're Peter, the apostle Peter, mm -hmm. you're elaborating on your own denial of Jesus. Uh, uh, you know, and in Mark's gospel, is the early church says Peter is behind Mark's gospel. You don't even get the account of his reconciliation with Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is not the product of somebody just making something up to make their own people or their own religion look really, really good. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts on that one before we move to the next? Good that's go. good. All right. <laughs> this next one's kind of short, and I'm going to have to narrate over the top of it for our audio listeners because it's just uh, it's it's got some music and it's got a video with some words on the screen. So I'm going to read the words on the screen as we play this next one, and then we'll get our our thoughts. Okay. Here we go. It says being a good little Christian for 25 years, thinking nothing could make me stop believing. And it's a, a woman just kind of looking around. And then it says, actually reads the Bible. And she has this shocked look on her face. So she starts by saying, let's just watch it again. She says, oh, can I do that? Yes, I can. Well, oh, sorry, John. Hi there. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the basic idea of it is like, oh, I was this totally devoted, strong Christian. I really loved Jesus. All this. And then... I actually read the Bible. Well, obviously, you don't have to be a scholar to see that um, if if you were a Christian who had never read the Bible, that's a that's a big issue, right? That really makes me kind of question how deep the foundation of your original faith was by your own admission. That's not even just me kind of assuming motive. But what do you guys think about that? Whew. Okay, um, <laughs> sorry, Don. I'm going to jump in first again, but that that I mean that one feels like the. Compared to the last one, that one feels like an indictment on us as Christians. Mm -hmm. I don't know this woman's background at all, obviously, but it is a warning to us as Christians, especially those of us in leadership, to say, what kind of false assurance are you giving to people? If you've got somebody who thinks they're a good Christian and they literally have never read the Bible, okay, now she's probably exaggerating for the sake of TikTok there, but they don't have serious engagement with the Bible, that's on us. That's our job. This is our book, <laughs> people. Mm -hmm. We need to teach people this book and help them read it correctly so they see it for all its all its good for all mm -hmm. its glory. Um, you know, there's an, a book that's widely read called "Reading the Bible for All Its Worth," and I love that title because the Bible's worth a lot, and it has, we believe, uh, the truth in it that we need to know to be reconciled to our Creator. That's a pretty big claim. Let's not pretend otherwise. We ought to read it. We ought to know it, and we need to help people do it. So, there's. I'll let John pick up on maybe some of the negatives of it, but. I would let me start by kind of shining the light on ourselves and saying, let's do better. Yeah, no, I mean, Peter, I think that's exactly where we go with that. I, I don't, I mean, I, again, we don't know this gal's background. We don't know what church she's involved with. Um, but again, uh, for any listeners out there, 
um, this might be a gut check, but ask yourself whether the church you are a member of or attend is preaching and teaching the Bible faithfully, right? Mm -hmm. The Bible is an amazing story. It begins with creation. It begins with God establishing his kingdom through humanity that he crowns a king, okay? Mm -hmm. Obviously, that king falls off his throne, right, in a way, right? He starts to now, instead of ruling with justice and righteousness and mercy and grace, he rules with violence and corruption, right? That's what Genesis 6 through 9 is all about. And then, of course, uh, God goes to work, right, in redeeming a people for himself. He does this through faithful covenant partners, human partners. We know them by the names of Noah and Abraham and finally the nation of Israel. And then we know them by King David and all of his sons. And then we know, we know that final faithful covenant partner, right, by the name of Jesus Christ, who is also David's greater son, the Messiah, long awaited. This story, this, the, the story in Scripture is unparalleled, right, to, to, to parrot Tolkien, right? All other great stories simply copy this one, they mimic this one, right? Because this one contains all the elements uh, of reality because it is tied to creation itself, you see. And so if you're not getting that in any way, shape, or form, you are in the wrong place. I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. You need to find a place, uh, a church that faithfully teaches and preaches scripture. Dr. Gurry and I take this absolutely serious as seminary professors. We are in the business of trying to train pastors to become competent and skilled readers of scripture mm -hmm. so that they can go out all right, and shepherd and tend flocks who are all, by also skillful and wise readings of the text. And so um, I know there's a famine of the word in mm -hmm. this country. There's a famine of the word in this country. Mm -hmm in this culture, right? But mm -hmm. we, uh, we've got to do better. But right now, TikTok is a great litmus test. And according to that particular one, we've, we're failing. Okay. <laughs> that's so good, that's yeah. Good. <laughs> right, right. And it is, you know, it's, um, it's just striking that, you know, you can understand it. If you come from a church environment in which you're taught Jesus is like your best friend, he just wants you to be happy. You know, if you're yep. not happy, he's going to help you out and wants you to just be kind of good and nice, you know, that therapeutic, moralistic yep. deism. And then you actually read that God is a God of judgment. There's, yep. there's all this kind of stuff going on that could be a, a big shock to the system certainly. So thank you for that. Exactly. I want to I put up a comment, a very thoughtful comment somebody put in uh, to the comment box in regard to the first TikTok we watched. So uh, we, when we talked about how the people in power, uh, the claim was that people in power basically changed it, and then, you know, then other people changed it that way. And uh, I think this is a very thoughtful comment, so I'm just going to bring this up right now. This is from Calvin. He says, this was done in American history by slave owners. You can find the slave's Bible, which slave owners used to keep their slaves more docile and amenable. So parts of the Bible have certainly been edited out, but it's, typ it's typical to make the Bible say something it doesn't or omit something that it does. And so Calvin makes a great point here. Of course, we have examples like the Jefferson Bible where Thomas Jefferson took out the things he didn't like, and people have certainly tried to do that all throughout history. But Calvin, I guess I'm going to throw this to the guys, but the, the way I would think about this is how do you know, how do we know that the slave's Bible is actually incorrect? How do we know that? We know that because we have good scholarship. We have textual criticism. We have, um, uh, you know, good history of the Bible so that we can say, actually, that slave Bible is wrong. That's how we know that. But, but you know, you guys, I'm sure, have a much better response than that. I'd love to know what you think about that. No, I mean, that's really good. I, I'll just lead out real quick, 30-second answer here. I, I think 
um, and hopefully Calvin would would extend just just enough uh, uh, courtesy here, and that is um, scholars are, of the Bible are going back to original manuscripts, right? And so uh, we're going well, we're going back way well before the slave Bible, well before 19th century issues in 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 North America, right, or the Deep South, and um, the, these manuscripts, uh, the scribes who copied them, right, obviously well ignorant of what goes on. Now, that doesn't mean different hermeneutical issues don't show up, right? And and Thomas Jefferson simply applied his method of interpretation, right, to the to the cut and paste method, right, for how he got his Bible. Uh, but but in, in terms of how do we know? Uh, we go back and we examine all of the available manuscripts of the Old and New Testament. And we compare them methodically and meticulously, and we and we work to establish the most original readings of those texts. I mean, that's that's what we do. So, yeah. yeah. Anything to add there, Peter? Just you know, again, you can sort of look say who is the serving. If the slave Bible is pretty clear when you look at it, given the parts that are cut out, who it's serving, it's serving the slave masters. If I read the Old Testament or the, again the New Testament and I look at the portrayal of the disciples, I don't think to myself, wow, these gospels sure look like they were edited in order to serve the apostles and make them look better. Mm. That's a <laughs> good does, point, right. yeah. I just don't think that. When you see the kinds of things that even in, say, the New Testament epistles or take the Old Testament prophets, the kinds of things they're saying about us as humans, they are not flattering to us, right? Right. So you have to explain that too if you think the Bible is simply the product of nefarious editing to serve those who are in power. Boy, there's a right. lot of it that sure does not read that way. I don't know how you read the Old Testament prophets and think those things are written to serve those who are in power. Um, no. So, but no. I think one of the things that's remarkable about, about the Bible is the sheer diversity of the people who wrote it. When you think that it's written by kings, think David, yep. but also David writing some of the Bible when he's still a shepherd boy, mm -hmm. right? Um, to people like, you know, little known Mary when she's singing the Magnificat in, you know, in Luke to, um, to prophets like Isaiah to run. A, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Jonah wrote Jonah. Nobody knows, but still, I mean, that's not a flattering portrayal of an Israelite prophet. either. There's just an incredible array of people who seem to have written slash contributed to the Bible that we have. And they don't, none of them fit into a single category. They certainly don't fit into the single category of people who are in power. <laughs> No, that, no, that's right. That's right. And if you, again, if you read um, Kings and Chronicles, even parts of the ends of Second Samuel uh, closely, you'll find that king, kings actually aren't attributed to the writings of the narratives. It's actually the prophets who served during the reigns of each of those kings. So even Isaiah is mentioned as one of the authors of the narratives uh, around the time of Hezekiah, or the prophet Nathan and Gad, uh, around the time of David, you see. So yes, David is attributed to have written many psalms, and I think he did, but but the narratives themselves are actually the prophets who are said to have written. And that's kind of interesting, right? Especially if Nathan, right, is one of the, the, the authors then, right, prophetic authors of those narratives. He's also the one not afraid to confront power, right, in, uh, in, for, in the second Samuel 12, right, for example, when he has to confront David about the murder of Uriah, right? This is, this is fascinating to me. So um, I, I think we just don't read our text very closely. And so we wind up with this idea, well, those in power must have written the history books. And that's really 
just not the case. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the commenter, Calvin, uh, swung back around and said he's a Bible major, and actually that was the point he was trying to make, that it has things do get edited, but it's always for nefarious purposes, and it can be pointed out easily. So that was yeah. a great okay. uh, great discussion yeah. there. All right, let's move on to the next yeah. one. Fair enough. Um, in our thumbnail, we, we, had, we were going to talk about, is the Bible an idol? And that's what's kind of coming uh, in with this next TikTok. So check it out. Christians idolize the Bible so much that when I critique the Bible, y'all think I'm critiquing God. And you'll never understand where I'm coming from if you don't untether God in the Bible. That's the problem with having a faith that's rooted in the supremacy of the Bible. Because then any flaw that somebody finds in the Bible invalidates your faith. And your identity is tied up in your faith. So when I critique the Bible, you think I'm critiquing God. And that invalidates your faith, which ultimately invalidates your identity. Which is why y'all think I'm the Antichrist. So no, I'm not going to debate you about theology when your foundational belief is that the Bible is perfect. And that's the problem with demanding Bible loyalty without Bible literacy. <laughs> well, he, was start, he was starting to get me right at the end there. <laughs> yeah. He lost me, lost me, lost me. And then right at the end, I was like, oh, yeah. this is yeah. going somewhere positive, maybe. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because again, <laughs> at the end there, he's tapping into that element. Yeah. I, what did he say? Bible authority without Bible literacy is not good. And I'd say, mm-hmm. yeah. I spot on, my friend. Uh, Bible loyalty. Bible without loyalty. Bible literacy. Yeah. Bible yes. loyalty. yeah um, if right. you think the Bible is God's word, you probably should know it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you know, right. I have been told a story that Bart Urban <clears throat> in his class at UNC Chapel Hill, he has started, I don't know if he still does this or not, but that he start. he used to start it by asking everybody to raise their hand if they had read like the latest Harry Potter book right. and all the hand, all the hands go up or whatever. And then he goes, and how many of you think the Bible is the word of God? And a bunch of hands go up. And then he says, how many of you read that? And like a bunch of hands go down. Mm. And he's like, so you're telling me you think the Bible has been written by God himself but you haven't read it, but you've read Harry Potter. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like, ouch. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. there's some other things we could say about that. Um, right. We won't get into. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> but he does make a point, and that is, if we are Christians and say we believe the Bible is God's word, we should probably treat it that way, shouldn't we? We should um, take it seriously enough to actually read it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, maybe I'll let John jump in on the earlier part of that guy's TikTok video, the idolatry bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah. The the fact of the matter is, we can't disassociate God from His Word, right? So, uh, and and we we hold that the the Bible contains the Word of God, right? It is the Word of God, and so without, um, <laughs> I, I've got without Scripture, I have no way of accurately describing God in His mm-hmm. character, right? His will. For, for my life, uh, the, the plan for salvation, right, of sinful cre- of creation and humanity. I, I, have no, uh, I have no way other than Scripture. So I, so I, I think I understand his concern, right? It's, it, 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 there's a little bit of, di- uh, no, there's a lot of dissonance, sorry, when a former president of the United States stands up in front of a church, right, and he holds up a, a, a Bible, right? And I think he's got it like backwards, so he kind of switches it like this, right? And so, mm-hmm. so he, you know, when, when it's really questionable, right, the last time is he cracked that book, you know, and so so I do mm. get that it, uh, a, a loyalty to the Bible without knowing how to read it is very problematic, uh, but uh, it goes three steps too far in the wrong direction to disassociate God from His Word. Now, now I can make God whatever and whomever I want. You see, uh, the fact of the matter is I have to let His Word right 
inspired through human authors uh, dis, uh, be be my guide right to the point where now I'm I'm thinking God's thoughts after him right like that's that's what I should be doing uh, as a Christian right as a reader of scripture so so again good good concern uh, but the antidote uh, leads to more poison I think mm -hmm. so that's that'd be my quick yeah, evaluation I, of that one I think as I as I watch that what I see going on there too is sort of the classic split between the way uh, and I'm using these terms in a theological sense, a split in the way a theological conservative might approach the Bible versus a theological liberal. So the theological liberal is going to approach the Bible from a much more naturalistic standpoint, viewing the Bible as a book that was written by humans uh, about God. I mean, maybe God was involved in, in some way in the process, kind of giving it, making it inspiring to you at certain points. But the theological conservative, which I think is obviously agree with you guys, is the correct view, approaching the Bible as the word of God. Certainly he used human authors. We see their personalities reflected. We see their uh, grammar styles or writing abilities, their cultural context. All of that is reflected in the text, but the words on the page are the word of God. And so in the deconstruction uh, movement, which is, you know, so many of these videos are motivated from that perspective, you'll see a lot of videos where people will say, well, I grew up reading the Bible in this certain way. Then I realized I really should see this as a human book. So that's that was the approach, I, I think, from what I could tell he was taking. And that's what he means when he's talking about untethering God from the Bible. He's basically kind of saying, Christians, you're trying to read the Bible as if it's God's word, but guess what? It's actually just, you know, what humans were writing about him, and you have to untether those two things, because that's a very, very common thing that's mm -hmm. expressed in the uh, the deconstruction movement, and uh, that video, of course, had that deconstruction hashtag on there. And I think that's, that's something to always be aware of when you're looking at skeptical um, TikToks and graphic memes, you have to understand that in deconstruction or in that type of a, of a headspace, they're approaching the Bible not as God's word. In fact, I have an episode of the podcast from a couple years ago where a church here in Nashville went viral for making a graphic meme that said, the Bible is not God's word. Like, get over it. Stop thinking of it as God's word. And so that's where a lot of that is coming from. But as you guys pointed out, if the Bible is God's word, if it is divine inspired in the classic sense, well, then we, it's not an idol to obey it. It's actually would be the correct response is to say, well, right. God has spoken. And so he's the one with the authority, not me. And that doesn't uh, mean that you're idolizing the Bible. So I think one way to get at Elisa is to say, you will have an authority that you listen to mm -hmm. when it comes to how you should live your life. Maybe it's your friend group. Uh, maybe it's, you know, if you're a kid, it's your parents or your teachers or uh, later in life, uh, it could be all sorts of things, right? Uh, it's your favorite, you know, Oprah character, let's call them, whoever these people are that she has on us are like gurus, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, you can tell I don't watch a lot of Oprah, but, uh, <laughs> but like you will have an authority in your life who you listen to about how you should live your life and make decisions. There are, there's nobody on this planet who is living without an authority. Okay, so what he, the one positive thing to say about that TikTok video is, he, I think he has put his finger on something important, which is, is the Bible, to use his term, tethered to God or not? Mm -hmm. And you had better be, you had better think really carefully about how you answer that, because that's, that's a really big question. Mm -hmm. If you really conclude that God is not tethered to the Bible, then none of us should live our life yeah. according to it. It is just an yeah. old book with maybe mm -hmm. some great poetry in it and whatnot, but I don't need to submit to it. Mm -hmm. 
If Christians are right, though, in claiming that, no, this book is more than just an ancient book written by great poets, uh, but it actually is God's word, then think about what consequences follow from ignoring it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I want to commend him for at least putting his finger on what I think is, in many ways, the issue for us when we think yeah. about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, you want to, you want to, let's do a meme. All right, so this is a graphic meme on social media, and it's uh, it pictures Ben Shapiro at the top, and then a, a girl in the middle, and then Ben Shapiro at the bottom. At the top, Ben Shapiro says, and I don't think it's meant to be like, this is what Ben Shapiro would say, but it's representing the Christian. He says, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Then the girl in the middle says, where is that written? And then at the bottom, he says, in the Bible. The Bible says so. And I'm actually going to put this one with another TikTok because they're kind of making the same point. And so we'll go to the TikTok for this one. And again, I'm going to have to read the words on the screen for our listening audience. It has a girl saying, you have to believe everything the Bible says because that's what it's said to do in the Bible. And then she shows herself plugging the end of a, a socket into the light socket on, you know, so it's like circular reasoning is what she's trying to make the point of. So I think the main point we're interacting with here is that a lot of people in this deconstruction space, in the progressive space, will say Christians believe the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says so, and that's circular reasoning. So what do you guys think about that claim? Well, I I guess I kind of want to start with... um, most worldview claims seem to be circular to some degree, mm. you know? So um, it, ask, ask a Muslim how they get off the ground, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound pretty circular. Ask a Jew how it gets off the ground, pretty, pretty circular. Ask a secularist how it gets off the ground. It's pretty circular, right? The question is, what happens when you get beyond that? And I'm not even saying I necessarily agree with we should believe the Bible is the word of God because the, Bi- the, the, the Bible says it's the word of God. You know, not, I'm just saying that philosophically circularity I don't think is like a, is, is a self-defeater okay, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think we need to question that, first of all. But um, I, I, in my mind, um, yeah, the Bible... Uh, has numerous points where of confirmation once you start to leave the circle, okay? Historically, mm-hmm. philosophically, these sorts of things. And so I think I think that's um, that that's oftentimes missed in the memes and the mm-hmm. and the tick in the TikTok videos. So uh, I mean, we could go. We could start with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? If we wanted mm-hmm. to do that, right, and start talking about evidence from outside of the Bible, right, to to confirm the evidence, right, and these sorts, or to confirm the claim that uh, Jesus was raised from the dead and that kind of thing. So, uh, but but I don't. We don't have all the time in the world here. So, Peter, do you have anything to add to that one? So, I, let's just take her little. Uh, that's really. I like. That's clever. Plugging the. Yeah. Yeah, that was. That was. That's the great thing about these memes, right? They actually actually are pretty clever. Um, (laughs) But imagine if what's that thing called? uh, The power strip. Power power strip. strip. It was a for our listening audience. It was a power power strip strip with the end that you're supposed to plug into the wall. But she took the end you're supposed to plug into the wall and plugged it back into the power strip. So (laughs) that's a great example of circular reasoning. It was clever. It was was So, but the issue is when you think about ultimate authority. We're talking about ultimate authority. Once you apply the word ultimate to the word authority, there has to finally be one at the end of the line. Yeah, that's right. So if I were to say to somebody who says, like in her case, I'd say, you think circular reasoning is wrong, right? She'd say, yes. I'd say, why? Well, because it's wrong. 
Yeah. Because you have, That's you, you're it. using the thing yeah. you've concluded to prove the thing yeah. you want to prove. Yeah. And say, well, it's who so says fundamental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see, yeah. like you can't go yeah. beyond that. It's just axiomatic. So right. <clears throat> at some point, everybody appeals to an ultimate authority, which has to be its own proof at some level. So I'd say it's more like what we're saying with the Bible and trusting it because it says it's from God. And John's right. There are other things we can point to. I don't think we ultimately have to s- simply rest with the circularity. But is it's more like plugging that if, if that power strip had been its own power generator. Because what other authority is God going to appeal to when he speaks to us? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. He's going to say, listen to me because I'm God. Well, God, I'd like you to appeal to what? Is there some higher court? Than him right there isn't now what he does yeah. do throughout the bible as recorded in the bible is he does displays of his power to confirm these things to people. that's right so he says things like moses do this and then he says now throw your staff down and watch what happens do you see right um that's right. but i think what's really important about the bible is that the bible gives us that interpretation of those actions as well see because mm-hmm. we're not moses and we weren't there to see that confirmation and so the way we come to trust the Bible may be different in some ways than the way Moses came to trust God in the wilderness, right? I haven't seen a burning bush. So um, I'm not sure I can replicate Moses's, all Moses's reasons for trusting God, right. uh, but I have other ones that I can appeal right. to. So there's a, right. there's a lot more we could say on that. But at no, the end of the day, sure, but what, I, yeah. what do you want God to appeal to beyond himself? Yeah. For, yeah, and I just want to pick up on it too. I mean, the people that did see those things still weren't ultimately yeah, right. convinced and persuaded right. by them right yeah. so I, th- I think that's really important too because yeah, that the word right comes in and offers the correct interpretation of those things that yeah, that even eyewitnesses couldn't put mm-hmm. together so anyways i think that's yeah that i hope that helps too as you're thinking through in some ways what we have written down is far better than even being there i you know seeing mm-hmm. it for yourself so. well and there's I one just... reason to oh, sorry go ahead no go ahead peter please I was going to say, I think it's one reason why it's really important that skeptics hear us as Christians, not just always saying, not saying they always do, but always saying, you better believe the Bible or else. Okay. There are times we need to essentially say that the Bible's God's word. You ought to listen to this. But there also ought to be a lot of times where they, where they just hear us saying, man, we're so thankful for the Bible. We love this thing. Mm-hmm. We're so glad that God chose to speak to us through it because otherwise we'd be lost without mm. it. We would right. not know what the resurrection meant. We wouldn't know the significance of the cross. We wouldn't know how to interpret the Exodus in yep. Egypt, even if all the archaeology, archaeological evidence yep. was there to prove beyond a doubt that this sort of thing That's happened, right. that somehow water did something really weird here. It wouldn't matter. Right. What we need is for God to step in and say, yep. guys, yep. and yep. here's what that means. <laughs> for sure. Here's what that for tells sure. you about my character and about yep. who you are as my people. Right. That's right. And that's why Christians love and cherish the Bible. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we don't just we don't sort of begrudgingly accept it and then try to hit people with it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And I just you know I'll just add some thoughts here that some of what I'm about to say is kind of a summary of what you guys have already said. But just the way I approach this as well is just to start with the idea that actually that's not exactly what Christians are claiming. We're not saying we believe the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says so. That's actually not true because right. I could find a, a paper that says this paper is the word of God. And I'm not gonna believe that just because the paper says that. So there's other things at play. You could come at it like John mentioned, going to the resurrection. You look for the evidence of the, you could come at it the evidential way, the evidence for the resurrection. Well, if the resurrection is true, then the claims Jesus made about himself are true. Jesus made a lot of claims about the Bible and Jesus affirmed the Bible and Jesus affirms the Bible. And then the Bible says that it's God's word. And Jesus called the Bible God's word over and over and over again, 
Well, that's a great reason to trust the claim that the Bible makes about himself, about itself. Right. Another another way you could approach this is biblical reliability. You know, again, the piece of paper I find that says uh, this piece of paper is God's word, and then it's got more information mm -hmm. that's demonstrably mm -hmm. false. I'm probably not going to believe the claim that it says it's God's word. Mm -hmm. But here you have mm -hmm. the Bible with hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, archaeological finds uh, that affirm and illuminate tons of data from both Old and New Testaments. You have all the criterion historians look at to, to determine whether or not uh, a historical narrative is reliable or not. And so there's all of these different things coming together where the Bible gets so many things right that when it says, and you have the testimony of Jesus saying, this is the word of God, there's, it's not circular because it would only be circular if we were only believing it because it said so. Um, there's a reason to believe the claim that it mm -hmm. makes about itself. And that's kind of the way I would approach it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Just fundamentally, yes, I think you start someplace. And then, like, as you just did, you, you start to work out, right, from that, from that circle to various data points. And yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. But, like we, it. but it's interesting watching these TikToks because you can see how compelling that would be to somebody who grew up all their life just being told, hey, you know, the, the, the verse that says all scripture is breathed out by God, is inspired by God and profitable for reproof and for teaching. Mm -hmm. And they go, why do I believe that? Well, I believe it because it says it. But there's actually a lot more going on. And so I think right. that we have to, um, all of us kind of make it a habit that when we see things like this, to really think it through. Take a few minutes. Sometimes I'll watch something like this. There have been times where I saw a TikTok talk. And I was like, I know it's wrong, but I need to think about this. And it really be like an hour later. I'm like, oh, okay. I get the little bait and switch they did there. And maybe not purposefully, but the bad logic that you find there. And it takes a minute to process these things out. I think it was GK Chesterton that said a lie finds itself all the way around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. It's like hard to keep up with some of this stuff, but um, that's a good way to go about it. All right. So let's, uh, let's do another TikTok. Let's see, which one are we going to do here? Um, okay. Let's do this one. This, this is a, an account that has over 200,000 followers. So when I first saw some of these videos, I kind of didn't take it very seriously, but then I saw the impact it was having. I even had friends uh, email me TikToks from this account because their friends were sharing it and were confused by it. So let's see what this girl has to say. Where in scripture does it say this? Test everything. Take it to the Bible. God's word is the truth. Saying anything else is blasphemy. All right, friends. It's welcome to class. Welcome to class. Let's have some education, shall we? All right. So your precious Bible that is the one and only truth, the living, breathing word of God. I mean, that's how it was preached to me from the pulpit to put the fear of God in you, right? Okay, let me step back from preacher mode for a second and get into some truth and get into a space of love. This precious book that is the Bible that is a compilation of 66 chosen books, 66 books that were chosen by a group of 300 men around 280. Yeah, it was put together. It was decided upon to get you to believe exactly the way that you believe. So for you, what they decided upon is, is working. Okay, we'll stop there. So what do you think about that? Mead is highly triggered. Mead is highly <laughs> triggered. Dr. Mead, triggered. I mean, triggered. what else? What, what, what are we supposed to think about this? I mean, 66 chosen books. Chosen. No, That's an important no, word to talk about. Chosen. It was. No, no Christian ever 
has put it that way. Ever. <laughs> I, I let me want one more time. No Christian has ever said we have sixty-six chosen books of the Bible. Okay, there's not that not even close. We the word for this is canon, which becomes uh, a word that simply means authoritative books. Okay, uh, that is getting at books that were recognized, there's the better word, recognized to be divinely inspired. That is God speaking to his people through these books. That's the canon. We didn't choose those. God inspired them. He had them written, right, through mysterious providential means, yes. But he had these books written, and then also through the same mysterious providence, he had these books recognized. But human beings, from Moses down to Athanasius of Alexandria, the church father, right? And even beyond, have simply recognized these books as the place where God speaks. So not chosen, okay? Uh, other little factual problems there. Um, I, I was shocked that she threw out the date of 200 AD. Did I hear that right? She said 200. She did 300 men in 200 AD. Yeah, so I I know not. That's what, remarkably how, early, by the way. This is remarkably right. early. Even if that were true, uh, if, if, she, it, if there were a council in that year with that many men, who yeah, did there's, vote on the there's, books, there's, that would be quite remarkable historically. <laughs> there's yeah. no there's no council uh, in 200 A.D. Certainly, uh, nothing ever about the Bible is decided at a at a council like that. Okay, and so uh, and 300 men, almost emphatically men, is what's being said there. Mm -hmm. uh, that would mean that you know women of the faith, right, would be somehow excluded from mm -hmm. from also recognizing the voice of their shepherd mm -hmm. in these texts. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So 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 wrong on on many many levels. There, the people of God throughout all ages have simply. Uh, come back to these same books. Athanasius calls them springs or sources of salvation. These are the books that constantly uh, uh, irrigated the soul, you see. It, it constantly watered the soul and, and, and showed what never thirsting again looked like okay so so this is not is not a political play here to get 66 books this is simply the 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 people of god from all time recognizing that it is these books and these books alone that god has spoken to his people mm -hmm. and i'll just for clarity just to give her the benefit of the doubt I think she might have accidentally flipped it, meaning to say three hundred or two hundred men around three hundred A.D. Because that would make more sense. Because there were okay. what, like two fifty men there, and there was yeah. like it was like three hundred something was Nicaea, right? Yeah. So, she's so, probably so the council doing of that Dan Brown move, yeah. where she's saying that the council yeah. of Nicaea chose the books of the Bible, right? With some of these, you yeah, kind that's of want right. to get on TikTok and in the comments make suggestions for better arguments against Christianity. Like, I kind of just want to get on there and be like, what's her name? I don't know if she has a name. I, I Well, I'd, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Stage name or something. Just be like. Mallory Aveline, I think, is the name. Okay. Be like, Mallory, go check out the history of Esther and then push on that door for a while. And if you want, make a video about that. Because that one actually is a little bit difficult, right? Like, mm -hmm. there are right. areas. Like, we're not trying to present right. this as like, this is all some neat and tidy thing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. there are legitimate questions to ask here. That is not one of them. Right. Yeah. Okay? Exactly. That is not at all. You're not even close. Yep. 
Yeah, hitting that's the target right. on, on Christianity. Yep. Now, yeah. So you know, it's TikTok, so my expectations are low. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> well, it's kind yeah. of like I said in the beginning. It's like the disheartening thing isn't so much the claims being made; it's the people yeah. who are hearing those claims for the first time and having their minds blown, thinking yes. that this is yeah, true information, right. right? I mean, because like that's our right. my generation sort of walked through this when Dan Brown came out with the Da Vinci mm-hmm. Code, and everybody mm-hmm. for the first time was like, "Oh, did they do that? Did Jesus have mm-hmm. a wife?" Was all these questions, mm-hmm. and now you have this whole generation on TikTok who probably isn't all that aware of what Dan yeah. Brown was talking about, and they're going, "Oh, wow." Mal, this this right. girl just said this mind blowing thing. I've been lied to all my life, and now I find out the truth. And they don't really search much further. And yeah. so I think no, that's, that's the more disconcerting thing than anything. Yeah, that's good. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just add: I, the last time I checked, you know, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code is up to around 82, 83 million copies sold. Okay, so that doesn't even get at the Tom Hanks film, right, by the same title, as to how many people that has influenced and i i finally watched that movie a few years ago and i i looking for the key lines in the book all of the controversial lines from the book make it into that movie like mm-hmm. every last one of them about how they chose four gospels out of the 80 plus gospels that were mm-hmm. available right all that language all that's on the on the big screen right it's on the movie so my my default assumption and if i get onto this topic at all with anyone like my neighbors is that that's the view they've heard. If they've heard a view, it is that view. And because that's the one that's in the air, Mallory may not even know where that, where, where the, the vocabulary that she's using even came yeah. from, mm. you see. And it actually, but, I, but, you know, yeah. I think there's two questions. One, well, the question is why does it spread so much? Why is it sort of captured the popular imagination? Part of it, I think, is because it does play into this suspicion we have that everything about the past is oh, totally. just a matter of a bunch of power plays, mm-hmm. you know? That's right. Totally. Uh, that's totally. a very sort of postmodern way of reading history is that, you know, it's, yep. as, everything is power grabs up, down, left, and right. <clears throat> and then I think the other one is there is some element of not legitimacy, but makes sense in that it is simple. And the actual story of how you got the biblical canon is, is complex and a bit messy, as we've said. Yeah, and that's right. Yep. You kind of are trying to explain, well, how do we get this one set of books when there could have yep. been theoretically other sets of books? And you say, ah, oh, well, it was right. just a council in this one time period where a bunch of guys got together. You have a simple explanation for what looks like a simple mm-hmm. product. When it, once right. you dig into the history, and I think John's taught me quite a lot about this because his expertise is on the canon. It's actually a kind of complex process that, in some ways, at least in the Western side of things, is not even resolved by the time of the Reformation, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so, right. Um, right. yeah, it's a bit of us looking back from our vantage of having a, a a Bible with sixty-six books and saying this looks simple. There must be a single simple explanation for mm-hmm. it when actually mm-hmm. the, right. the full history is more complex. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's that, really that, that you can't put that in a TikTok video, right? I no, mean, that's, exact, like, that's exactly that's exactly right. Try. <laughs> that's right. I, what I've observed in this phenomenon is that you have these TikTok influencers who present themselves as these experts who are studying all these texts, and you know, I've really been studying this, so I'm just going to give you guys just bite-sized mm. information. And uh, so then you have all these other people who aren't—they're not going to sit down and read Exodus or mm-hmm. Leviticus. They're just listening to this person because mm-hmm. there's a trust they've gained with them, mm-hmm. and so they're just taking what they say at face value. And by the way, I've said this many times on my podcast, I don't want anyone to take what I say at face value.
face value, test my claims, see if what I'm saying is true. If I've gotten something wrong, I want to correct it. And if I've said something incorrect, don't believe it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm learning along with everybody else. But the, the you know, reality, we want to line up our views with reality. And so that's actually what leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God is because I want to line up with what, what I believe with reality. So, uh, well, we are about out of time. This has been so fun. We didn't really have time for questions, but that's okay because there weren't a lot of questions put in the comment box. So that works. I do want to just acknowledge this one question. Robin says, what's the criteria for Old Testament books to be included in our Protestant Bible canon? For example, why were the deuterocanonical and apocryphal books excluded? So Robin, before we're not going to open that can today, but what I will tell you is that in the last episode that Dr. Mead and Dr. Gurry were on, we covered this question. Uh, At least, you know, we touched on it. So go back into the archives and take a look at that because we did talk quite a bit for the first time on this podcast, really, about the canon of the Old Testament. We've we've talked a bit about the New. So go back and you may find your question answered there. But uh, I think we'll end with one graphic meme today. How about that? So we'll, we'll end with this one. And it's uh, this is from the Naked Pastor. Naked Pastor has a lot of very clever, hand-drawn cartoons that are really popular in the deconstruction space. And so for our listening audience, you have a big, 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 bigger-than-life-size Bible, and you have a little person trying to shove a robed figure representing God or Jesus into the Bible, and he doesn't fit in the Bible, but he's trying to shove him in there anyway. And then the text says, come on, God, you just have to fit in there. And so I think that this touches on a common theme we see that when we appeal to biblical authority, when we say, hey, there are these rules or there are there is an objective moral code that we are obligated to follow. And when we transgress that code, that's a sin. And that's, you know, that separates us from God. When we say things like that in that space, it's like, oh, you're just trying to put God in a box, right? You're just trying to shove God in this tiny little box you've created, but God is so much bigger than that. So we'll end today with your thoughts on that sentiment. Hmm. Well, I'll, okay, I'll start positively again. Uh, John, pick up the pieces here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, I think what probably what makes that meme work is that there's the element of truth to it. Because how could an infinite God uh, communicate f- accurately to us as finite beings? Like that's a real theological question that theologians mm-hmm. wrestle with and, and have to deal with. How can finite human language accurately tell us about a God who is infinite. And um, so that's a, you know, that's a, it's, it's akin to the same question of how could a God become human, right? There's a reason why C.S. Lewis thought that that was the miracle above all miracles in the incarnation. So I think, you know, my first answer to that would be, isn't it amazing that in fact that, that God has in fact revealed himself truly in something finite like written words? That's, that's a marvel, something for us to just, my first response to that meme is to just respond by saying, I'm I'm so thankful <laughs> mm-hmm. that God did find a way to fit himself into written words and give them to me. Praise God for that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then beyond that, I'd have to know, think more about what that guy's sort of agenda is. Mm. Cause I'm not, mm. I, at that point, I just, I don't, I don't know if I should care. Yeah. He's I don't know, John, yeah. do you, yeah. you want to? Well, it know? struck me as, yeah, that's, it's good. I, it struck me that say, say this person's even read the Bible, but his idea of God did not did not square or fit mm-hmm. in with scripture the book mm-hmm. right confessed to have, have come from him right to originate with him so um 
I, I guess, but we're back to this, a theme that's already, that we've had about, you know, with this, this particular podcast, and that is, what's our authority? Who, who are we trusting? Am I, am I trusting my own intuitions as to who God is and what he's like? Or, or am I trusting the word of God, right? Mm -hmm. The Bible, right? That's tethered uh, to him, right? So what, what am I... What am I trusting? I, I need something outside of myself, presumably, right, mm -hmm. to trust. And uh, or or maybe I could I could maybe try to say I could I could trust my own experience or my own intuition of what God should be like. But that it just seemed to me that the author of that comic there um, has read the Bible um, and has rejected its portrait of who God is mm -hmm. and has supplied one after his own making and now is stuck with trying to cram it into the Bible. This is this person. I'm sure he lives a very difficult life because he. My guess. I've met these people. Um, they they're so exhausted with trying to explain away what the Bible actually teaches. Mm. They're, they it's got to be an exhausting life for them to somehow account for the Bible's ethics, the Bible's morality, the Bible's view of Yahweh in the Old Testament. I, I, I can only imagine that this person gets very few hours of sleep a night because of, of that, um, that, that whole journey, that whole venture that they're on. So. Yeah. And that's- I, That brings up, oh, sorry. No, go please ahead. go ahead, Peter. It just makes me think what John's saying that like, <clears throat> you're either going to in our day and age where the Bible is not where our, where our culture's ethics do not align with many, some at, at some very stark points with the Bibles, let's put it that way, okay? You are either going to find yourself fighting the Bible or fighting our culture. I hate to use those terms, fighting, fine, but whatever. Like, you're going to find yourself butting up against either what the Bible teaches or what our culture says you should do, think like, celebrate, whatever. Pick, pick, pick one, because you cannot live with both forever. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to decide, will I side with what the scripture teaches or will I side with what my culture says is acceptable and I must celebrate and condemn everything it says I must condemn. Mm -hmm. And I just yeah. want to say, really, do you, do you think there's any culture ever that's existed that lines up perfectly with God's morals? If you, assuming you think, you know, God exists, like that would seem highly unlikely to me. Um, so of course there's going to be some places where you think your culture does not align with what God wants us as humans to do. So you better get ready. And uh, for my money, I'm taking the Bible, frankly. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. And, and to your point, sure. um, you know, just in researching this movement, I actually say in the book, you know, I used to describe what I went through as a deconstruction because that was the best word I had at the time I wrote my book. Uh, I had nearly came to the, to the edge of losing my faith, but I realized after researching the deconstruction movement, that's actually not what happened to me. And I'm actually changing the way I talk about that now because I always wanted to know what was true. I never fully lost my faith in God. I, I needed reasons to know why I believed what I believed was true, and I was willing to reject any beliefs that were untrue. Uh, but it was a search for truth. And what we see in the deconstruction movement is, is that's not really the case. It's more, it's a self-oriented, like you you are now the compass, you yourself. It's all up to you and what your thoughts and opinions, your moral intuitions, that's your compass. And you do see that. I, I don't 
specifically know about that guy in particular, but in many of these TikTok accounts and many of the people writing the books and even doing the conferences and giving the webinars, they're they're not. Ha- you can tell there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of anger. There's so much mockery and snarky and um, just um, vicious, mean sort of coming out of their pain. And it is sad to see because you know that they think they're free. They market themselves as being free. It's like the Instagram beauty of how free I am now. And they are free in a sense. They're free from all moral restraints. They're free to serve themselves. They're free to follow their own hearts. But as we are witnessing in these kinds of things, there's so much destruction at the end of that. And that's why I think us as Christians, and I I know you guys agree with this, our hearts need to be filled with compassion for people who are going through some of this stuff. We, We should be praying for our friends and loved ones who are in deconstruction, but ultimately... It's, you know, just even that angle of it should make us confident knowing that there's two kinds of freedom. You can be free from truth. You can be free from uh, moral restraint. You can be free from all that and follow yourself. But where does that lead? Or you can be free from slavery to sin and become Mm -hmm. a servant of Christ, uh, Mm -hmm. which is where the real freedom lies and uh, true, true joy. I think deep abiding joy, even through hardship and suffering. So guys, this has been so great. Um, I want to thank my guests, uh, Dr. John Mead and Dr. Peter. Peter Gurry. Don't forget to pick up their book, Scribes and Scripture, The Amazing Story of How We Got the Bible. Also, go to their website for great information about all these kind of topics of how we got the Bible. Go to textandcanon.org. There's lots of great articles on there, great resources. Be sure and check that out. Don't forget to check out unshakenconference.com for information about the upcoming Dayton, Ohio date, and then for the subsequent dates in Los Angeles and in Nashville. Don't forget to subscribe to the Unshaken Faith podcast premiering this Wednesday, first episode with Natasha Crane. Very excited about that. Uh, And of course, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, hit the bell icon to be notified every time we release a new video. You all have been so great at leaving good reviews on iTunes and all the other platforms. I think we've got something like 4,000 great reviews on iTunes. Let's keep those coming. Really helps get uh, the word out to more people with uh, some of the information we're presenting here today. So thanks so much for watching and and we will see you next time. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.